Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all the pop culture you may have missed this week. Hey. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Keith Reed Cleveland. And I'm your host, Victoria Vertin. As someone who makes his living on writing and content, I feel like I don't really give enough love to literature on this show throughout. I'm, I've had my moments here and there when I'll talk about books I like in passing, but never like an entire segment, right? So maybe at the end of the year, I'll go more in depth on all the books that helped me escape the world of 2020. I think it's about 15 or so by my count. But right now, I want to focus on a particular one that I just picked up this week that I'll be reading probably to carry out the rest of the year. As you surely heard by now, because it's like major news, A Promised Land, Barack Obama's first book since leaving office, was released this week to considerable hype and anticipation. On its first day, it sold a whole 890,000 copies, including both pre-sales and first-day sales. The only recent release to come close to that was actually none other than Michelle Obama's Becoming, in 2018, that sold 725,000 copies on its first day as well. In well, Ashley passed that like Harry Potter last book like years and years ago, like blew those numbers out by like 10 times that, but still, that's in the past. Now, I'm only through part one of the book so far, but I will say that I'm at least enjoying the read as much as I've expected to. I haven't actually read either of Barack Obama's other two books yet, so this is actually my first time hearing him tell his own story while not standing for the podium from myself and him directly. And while even I have my own ups and downs with Barack as a politician, which I argue comes from the territory of being a politician, I can't help but acknowledge what he's always represented to me as a black son of a single mother. And don't even get me started on what it feels like growing up in Chicago during his rise to fame and everything, which came kind of overnight back in those days. So the background stories and the details appreciated, and I was caught well off guard to find out in the preface that this is only the first of two volumes, which is hilarious given that Barack originally set out to write one 500-page book, and the first one is already more than that, and we're getting another one coming out sometime in the future. Now, this is like one of those books that a lot of people think normally would help bring a rise to literature and bookstores and that whole economy as a whole, but especially right now, where they especially need that because small independent businesses, which a lot of bookstores are, just aren't doing well, this book can be seen as the one that you use to help catapult that movement. So I, as well as many other people, are saying, if you can, buy this book from independent bookstores, and especially from black-owned bookstores if possible, because this is one of those books that comes out once every two, three, four, five years that everybody wants to have, even if they don't actually read it. And those sales can definitely help out publishers, of course, but also, in this case especially, like independent bookstore owners. Now, Victoria, I know that like, time is of the essence in your very, very busy life, and this book will take a lot of time to get through. I'm just curious, like, in a perfect world, would you take time to read it if you could? Oh, of course. Um, I have an entire wall of books that I would do that with. Um, I was actually thinking that, so, in the poll, one of the things that came up was uh, Barack Obama's interview with uh, Oprah about this book and other things because Oprah, but, you know, kind of launching the the virtual book tour that is now a thing in 2020. Um, and watching the, the like trailer for that, they were talking about what they did in quarantine. And I was like, how do you have more time in quarantine? Like, I have so much less time. But yeah, obviously, I would love to read this. I would love to read all of his books, actually. My mom has read them and therefore calls me and tells me about all of the things. My mom is really good at, at kind of t- 
telling good writers, right? Like telling the difference between good content and good writing of content, which sometimes don't go together. And I think especially for celebrities, I hate putting politicians in the celebrity realm. Well-known folks, I guess I should say. Uh, Sometimes well-known folks get book deals because of who they are. And that means that their books may or may not be great, right? But from what I have have heard, he is great or uses great. I, I don't know how much of the writing he does himself, but the books come out really well written and tell the story really well, which is always something that I enjoy. I agree. I have become... I, I, I feel like my progressiveness has outpaced Barack Obama's particular politics, but when he... So, Barack Obama was the first president I was old enough to vote for, and I think we're the same on that, and that was absolutely incredible, and I don't think I would be as progressive as I am now if it had not been for the influence that Barack Obama had on me as a newly fledged adult, right? And the things that I saw that were possible by having my, you know, the first kind of president that I was able to claim as some, as a person that I had voted for, like my first president being a black man, being mixed like me, being, having a single mother like me, having a white single mother like me, like going through those things of like not fitting into either world. Like those are things that seeing that in the top levels of government, we're like, we can push this even further. It is possible. We have broken barriers. I've seen them be broken. We can do it again. So I am I, I would love to get this book, and I would love to actually read it one day. So we shall see. <laughs> I just imagine one day when life slows down for you, you're going to say, all right, you're not going to hear from me for a year. I'm going to catch up on all the things and whatever. And that may be like 40 years from now, but who never knows? Like you take yeah. like a sabbatical or something, just catch up on stuff. That would be my <laughs> sabbatical. Like normal people would take a sabbatical to do work, and I would take a sabbatical to not do any work. I get it because you work hard. But to echo your sentiments you were saying early and everything, my politics have also outgrown Barack Obama's politics from a progressive standpoint. And that happened at like a very fundamental point in my life and everything, especially like in college and post-college, which is like the end of the Obama tenure and like immediately after. But with that said, there are a few key moments in my life, I think, that definitely activated me politically. And like voting for him as president, him running for president, was definitely one of those moments. Another prime example of moments would definitely be like the George Zimmerman trial and everything. Like that was a big eye opening experience for me. And I remember how I felt and how much of that activated me and stuff, right? And having a Barack Obama be president and speak on that incident and Trayvon Martin's murder was, again, another example of like those two worlds kind of coming together and stuff, right? But I digress on that point. But um, so the first part of this book, like I said, I only read part one, which is the preface and the first four chapters. It's been interesting because I'm hearing straight from Barack Obama what made him the person that he is. And he does take some time to acknowledge some of his flaws. The fact that he got blown out in his race for state senate um, and then like he after that he says you know what I'm gonna go ahead and reach even higher and go for U.S. senator and then after that like halfway through his first team he says you know what things are working out pretty well let's go ahead and like run for president and the strain that put on his relationship with Michelle Obama and their family and like all the back and forth he has to go through with that like hearing that from him is interesting but I will say 
there's been a lot of interesting discourse out there about this book and what it means, and I appreciate a lot of it. And one of the pieces that I saw, which is actually fairly accurate, said that this memoir doesn't quite accomplish the job of telling us a singular message or anything like that, like a lot of memoirs try to do. It's just kind of just a chronological explanation of everything Barack Obama chose to do. And because it's from him, it can also come off as a justification for a lot of his decisions and a lot of things that people didn't quite agree with, right? Because he's the president. He made a lot of decisions that I know you and I don't agree with. A lot of people don't. And this is kind of his way to, like, use logic to, like, walk us to the point of where he got to that decision, right? Now, I think that's part of the nature of memoirs, unfortunately. Like, I'm telling you my story and my thinking. That's all that I can do. And yes, there are going to be ulterior motives there as well, right? But with that all being said, I still appreciate this read because I get to hear a lot about Barack and his backstory and his upbringing. And I learned things about his family background I never knew. Like, I didn't know that he had a sister until I read this book. I'm like, oh, no idea at all that like a sister of yours is a full-blown adult out here just like living life. But yeah, it's been really fun. And like, I definitely plan to stretch this read out and maybe carry it out to the end of the year because this is my 15th book. And on Goodreads, I made a goal to read 15 books this year. So I just want to do that, meet it, and be done. I am so proud of you. I feel like <laughs> like that is just an amazing accomplishment. Thank you. Uh, so speaking of history and heritage and, and kind of like icons of Black history, I am actually upset with myself on this next one. And we've talked before about, like, what history gets taught and what things get left out of history in American schools. And I, I am in, I'm in my rage against the education system mode this morning, which is fairly, fairly normal, let's be honest. But it is because one of the things that is coming out this year is a documentary series called Giving Voice. And this is about an acting slash art school competition, which is inspired by the life and work of August Wilson. And if you don't know who that is, you can join me in feeling bad because I did not either. Um, And I kind of... So I was a history major. Uh, My concentration was oppression, resistance, and revolution. I have taken so many classes and done so much research in the kind of field of African-American history and civil rights history and how how African-Americans have kind of like used art as expression and I had never really really heard of August Wilson like oh yes I recognize that name but I wouldn't have been able to tell you any of the things that he did and so I did a little bit of research this morning and he's absolutely amazing and this might this might actually come before Barack Obama's book I'm not gonna lie so August Wilson is an esteemed black playwright he is incredibly famous in the theater world um and he is known for a collection called the century cycle which is 10 plays that he wrote about the black experience in each of the decades of the of the 20th century and so we know a lot of these from kind of 
from the movie side of things because two of his most famous titles have been slash will be brought to the silver screen. Uh, one of which is the critically acclaimed 2016 film Fences, starring Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. And then the other is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is coming out this December 18th, and it also stars Viola Davis, and it stars Chadwick Boseman and his final role. And so I'm super excited for both of those movies, but I'm also really excited for this documentary series, which is about this art competition that is is put on with his play. I shouldn't say art. It's an acting competition at an art school. And it's in it's in New York in a very kind of underprivileged area. All of the contestants are people of color, and at the end of this competition, they get to, kind of their final thing is they get to perform whatever piece they've been working on, because they do it individually, and so they get to perform whatever piece they've been working on on a Broadway stage in front of an audience, and then that kind of decides who will win is who does best in that performance. And so they kind of have like a a boot camp leading up to that, getting them prepared for this. So this takes me back to one of the interviews that I read of John Boyega, who was talking about his acting school that um, he and Letitia Wright and a bunch of other uh, black British actors have come up through and how that gave them this, it gave them a home, right, where they could see other amazing people of color working their magic, and and they felt like they belonged, and this is a New York version of that, and I'm just so excited to watch this series, but also to see what these incredible young people do in their careers. So it's super exciting. It's going to come out on Netflix on December 11th. So a week before we get Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I'm not sure if they did that on purpose, but I think that that timing is also incredible. But yeah, what do you think? I think this is an amazing idea for sure. Like you said, as soon as you were talking about this, it made me think about that school I heard about, like you mentioned, that has all of these amazing black British actors coming out of it at once. And it's kind of like people love getting into an idea at the very beginning. It's kind of the same reason why people were going to watch LeBron James play basketball when he was 14 years old. Because at that point, they already knew, like, hey, there's a lot of talent here. I want to watch this get invested early so I can see when it pans out in the end, right? And I imagine this could be the same thing for the arts where we can see multiple people come out of this from writing, directing, acting all over the spectrum and see, like, be able to be traced back to this one place where they all existed in one space and time. That's always kind of a fascinating thing to me. But outside of that... August Wilson is absolutely amazing. Like you said, um, both his most popular titles definitely are My Rain's Black Bottom and Fences, but the first one I was introduced to was actually Joe Turner's Coming On, which I read for class or did a report on when I was in college. It was one of my African-American history classes, or African-American literature, 1900s to present. And that was a great piece of literature to read through and everything as well. And that was all really enjoyable, a lot of great insights about where black people were at those different time frames and also things that we can still see in people today in our daily lives. It's definitely not a coincidence that this comes out like right before I'm already Black Bottom because this is on Netflix too, right? Yes. Yeah. They're both coming out one week apart. They know exactly <laughs> what they're doing here. August Wilson Hive is about to come out strong, basically. It's what they're trying to do here. But this seems like a dope opportunity for everybody involved. So I'm excited to see the world come around to this. 
Our big ticket item for this week is going to be called This Week in Nerd Sequels. We got a lot of big news about sequels this week and where they're going to end up. And a couple of them even might give some ideas to how film distribution is going to change for the greater in the future. Starting off, One Woman 1984 sets to be released in theaters, but most importantly, on HBO Max this year on Christmas with, even more importantly, no extra charge. We've seen films come out in the past on different streaming services to different amounts of success, but the most common model that we've seen is when a movie that was supposed to be in theaters comes out on streaming services, but you have to pay an additional 20 to 30 bucks just to have that and watch it and everything like that, right? (laughs) Mulan. Yes, Mulan is a prime example of this for sure. <laughs> and while in some cases this is enjoyable because like when you do the math, like, well, if I went to the movie theaters and saw this in person, like I would pay this and this works out and everything if you do the mental math. But the reality is I'm still sitting on my couch and I can't quite justify paying 30 bucks for a movie anymore. Like this doesn't work for me, especially one that no one else is really seeing because it's just coming out. So the fact that Wonder Woman 1984, which has been anticipated for years at this point and the public release date kept getting pushed back further and further and further as you would know if you listen to our lightning rounds for the past few months but it will come out in 2020 and if you already have hbo max you can just watch it for free and i think a big part of this is actually coming from the fact that warner brothers studios already tried to save movie theaters with tenet and it did not work out so they're like licking their wounds and like all right we're gonna make the best situation as we could but moving on Coming to America, which is a sequel to the 1988 film Coming to America, will be released on Amazon Prime with a release date of March 5th, 2021. And this is another movie that was supposed to come out in theaters, but COVID happened, things got complicated. And Amazon went ahead and bought the movie and they plan to release it on their own. And Amazon has also seen recent success with the release of Borat 2, which has had a lot more people going to the service and paying for the movie and that, like, I'm not in that Borat audience, but there is indeed a Borat audience. And a lot of people saw that movie, were talking about it when it came out. So this... The combination of seeing Wonder Woman 1984 actually being released on streaming for free and coming to a film like Coming to America, which is going to have a cult fan base no matter what, coming out on Amazon Prime in March of 2021, which I don't know if this one does or doesn't have a price, but either way, this happening is definitely a sign that it's going to be easier and more accessible for films to be released on streaming services versus exclusively in theaters going forward. And lastly, we got news that Black Panther 2 is set to begin filming in July of 2021, which is next summer. And this is interesting because, of course, the loss of Chadwick Boseman a few months ago shocked all of us. And then it pretty much threw a whole like monkey wrench in the plans for the next film from both just an emotional standpoint of like, yo, we just lost somebody who all care about, but also like logistically, like he was the lead of this film. What do we do now? And when it first happened, I think we all agreed it was far, far too soon to start talking and speculating about what are they going to do? Are they going to like recast the role? Like, are they going to like rewrite it so that he doesn't exist anymore? What kind of things is going to happen? But I think enough time has passed now that we actually have to start addressing these things to make the next film and for it to be written and everything that we can start discussing this and have our theories about what they should do next. So I guess, Victoria, we can take it from top to bottom with these and like give our thoughts and our takes on what's going to happen, what they mean. So I wrote these down and I wrote them in the order that I cared about them, which means that Wonder Woman is the one that I care about the least. I was very excited for the first Wonder Woman movie and very upset when I felt like they nuked her a little bit. Like, I felt like that end reveal of, like, actually what motivates me is true love was like a really weird Disney princess thing that didn't need to happen anywhere in Wonder Woman. Uh, So I, I will, I am much more likely to watch 
1984, now that it is being released in this way, it is not something that I would have gone to see in theaters. It was it is not something that I would have bought. It was something that had this been a normal year, I would have waited until one of my friends, I do in fact have a Wonder Woman obsessed friend, got it and forced me to watch it. And then I probably would have been like, yeah, this is fine with the way that it's being released now. I have HBO Max. I could see watching this over winter break, which is far sooner in like the release scheme than I normally would have. So I think they might actually get more viewers because of this. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Coming to America, I'm excited about. I don't know what they're going to do. But it's going to be some shenanigans, and it's going to be great, and you're right, it's going to be an automatic cult classic, and I'm excited for it. Black Panther. Okay, so I have a what is for me a best case scenario, and what is for me a worst case scenario. I think everyone knows what my worst case scenario would be, because we've talked about it multiple times. And it is the, like, CGI hologram, we're just going to pretend that this thing hasn't happened. And now we have James Dean, or Carrie Fisher, and it's just, it's fine. Nobody look too closely. That would be terrible. I hope they don't do that. For me, my best scenario is that they lay Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa to rest in Wakanda. That they actually do that. And Shuri picks up the Black Panther mantle, which we know she's done multiple times in the comics. It's not outside the realm of, of canon or anything else. And I think that if anyone could do it, Ryan Coogler could do it. You know, he had the first Black-led Marvel movie. Everyone said it was going to bomb. Blew everything out of the water. Would it be would it be a power move in Hollywood to have a black female lead in a superhero movie? Absolutely. Could they do it? Of course. Of course they could do it. And it would be amazing. And that would be my best case scenario. So first of all, good news. They've gone on record to say they would not introduce a CGI Chadwick Boseman to this film. Think best. So the worst case scenario <laughs> is no longer worst case scenario. So like the like the bar is the floor at this point, right? Um, as far as your best case scenario, I definitely do like the idea of having someone else take up the mantle that was child and putting him to rest and having someone else become Black Panther. And this also makes me turn back to the comics as well. We'll see what they can do. First idea I like to look at is in the recent comics when Tanati Coast took over the title, they did a really interesting thing where. T'Challa made the decision to have Wakanda transition from monarchy to a democracy, meaning that, like, sure, he's, they're kind of like, like the UK at this point. His fan, he's still in power and viewed as, like, symbolic king and everything. He's still the Black Panther, has those responsibilities. But there's, like, people vote on things, and there's a board that, like, makes decisions and things on those lines, right? I feel like that's an easy writing they could fix in the ads to this, because as we were introduced to Wakanda in the films, it was transforming and becoming more open to the world anyway, and, like, stepping away from these old ideas of nationalism to a toxic extent and all these other things, right? So, like, them ruling out a monarchy, becoming more democracy is definitely in the cards. Second point, 
I think because it happened in the comics, I've noticed that everyone's thoughts have been like, all right, cool, make sure you're the next Black Panther. And like, in theory, I agree with that. But I feel like we're not there yet, especially given where Shuri was in the first Black Panther film. My alternative to that, alternative to that is do Okoye, Lupita Nyong'o's character. She is just as capable, I think, as T'Challa was in multiple facets as far as being a, a, a politician. Hold up, hold up, hold to- up, hold up. Do you want Okoye or Nakia? Wait, Nakia oh, my bad, Nakia. Ooh, you're right, you're right, my bad. Okay. Thank you very much. Let me react. Ooh, let me react that, yes. So I think it would actually be a good idea if instead of Shuri taking up the mantle of Black Panther, at least for now, because she wasn't quite there in the first film, how about Nakia, who's played by Lupita Nyong'o in the film? Because in my opinion, she has everything you need in order to just carry the mantle. She can do it because... We first met Shuri. She was the younger sister and lighthearted and everything, and like still one of the smartest people in the entire world and all that. But like, I would like to see more from her from like a combat standpoint and also from a leadership standpoint as well, because she has all those qualities absolutely, but they haven't quite manifested yet. And I think just jumping into a new film with like a time jump and her just being this person would be a bit of a leap. Whereas Nakia already has all these things. You already know she got the hands in hand to hand combat. We know she's super duper smart and everything. I could literally see her in a Black Panther costume running around and like kicking butt and doing all these dope things. So I think the idea that everyone has about making Shuri the next Black Panther is wonderful. But we're not there yet, so either we can have Nakia do it for now, then pass the mantle to Shuri because she was the right thing to do down the road, or just have Nakia do it and just see how it goes, and we'll deal with that like way, way later. That's my thought and my take on this whole thing. But again, worst case scenario, it's off the table, and there's a lot of different ways we can take it. I trust Ryan Cooper as the writer and director in this film, but he's still attached to it, and the cast, as we saw, was amazing. So again, I'm still having a lot of hope for Black Panther too. Yeah, I actually really like that. And I, I think that those two ideas of like transferring to a democracy and Nakia actually could work really well together. Because I think that if Nakia was to take up the mantle, that would be one of the stipulations is that she wouldn't be like a monarch, right? That's at least how they played her in the film. So I think that those two things could go really well together and that would be super cool. So I like that idea as well. So that leads us to our lightning rounds. As per usual, we can't get through everything that happens in a week. So here are some other things that are going down. Tiny Pretty Things, which is a ballerina soap opera. It comes out on December 14th on Netflix. It actually looks kind of cool. It's like center stage, but done by the CW. (laughs) It could be fun. Uh, So if you're into that kind of thing, Tiny Pretty Things. There's a new Predator movie, which will be the fifth installment in the Predator series. And the script is being written by Patrick Asen, who has producer-writer credits that include Kingdom, Jack Ryan, and Treadstone. We haven't heard much more about the film at this time, but it is a thing that is coming. Speaking of Jack Ryan and Tom Clancy things weird segue, but Michael B. Jordan is also doing a Tom Clancy movie that hopefully, or at least according to Michael B. Jordan, he would like to become a series of films, and it is called Without Remorse. Unfortunately, due to COVID, it is probably not going to get its theater release, or it will be the same thing. It will be a limited theater release, and there's talk about it being picked up by Amazon. 
as we've talked about before. Don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing, but we'll see how that works out. I'm excited to have Michael B. Jordan in the Tom Clancy verse. And then finally, for all of the fans of that time I was reincarnated as a slime, there is a new anime coming out called So I'm a Spider, So What? which is about a child person who is reincarnated as a spider and has to face her fears and fight off monsters as a spider. It looks kooky and anime fun. So if you're into that, January 8th, 2021 on Crunchyroll. With that, if you'd like to hear our thoughts on these topics or anything else in nerd news, feel free to tweet us at BlackNerdProblems with the hashtag TWINN. That was This Week in Nerd News. Tune in next week for more pop culture news. I'm your host, Victoria Vertine. And I'm your host, Keith Reed Cleveland. And for all my supernatural fans out there, carry on my wayward sons. Oh, yes. And remember to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have a good one. Peace.